0: Hello and welcome to Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Heritage. My name is Bishop and I'll be your host today. Where to begin? So many stories that we could start with, so many things that have happened. But as I was trying to put together a schedule here, I thought there's one story that's more interesting, impactful, and early than almost any other. And it's a story that many of us don't know, but I think many of us need to know. Because it's a story that literally defined and shaped our faith as Christians. The year is 55 AD. And let me tell you, the Roman Empire is still great, but it's in some troubling waters. See, there was an emperor named Claudius, and despite the fact that everyone made fun of him, because, you know, he walked kind of funny, he had a tick, he ended up being one of the greatest emperors that Rome ever had. He conquered most of Britain. He was able to subject most of northern Gaul, and not only that, but he stabilized Roman economy, and yada, 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 other stuff that you can hear about in history class. But Claudius had one big weakness. In fact, Claudius had one weakness that a lot of men throughout history have had, and that is being able to pick the right woman. He was a hopeless romantic. He always saw the best in people. And that led him to several bad marriages, including one with a woman named Agrippina, who poisoned him in his sleep so her son Nero could take the throne. Nero was known throughout Rome, but not for the good reasons. He was handsome, he was rich, he was a playboy, he was a partier. He would often spend every single night walking around Rome, drinking, carousing, and causing all sorts of problems. This kid had no idea of responsibility. He never had a full-time job. He'd always kind of been in the royal... Uh, royal party. And so here he was, given the keys to the greatest empire on earth, through some of the most troubling times. I mean, Boudicca's leading a rebellion in Britain. Armenia's burning to the ground. There is a plague, a famine, and a drought. And piracy is at its all-time high. And so Nero took over and, you know, did what every reasonable, respectable, and intelligent emperor would do. He made a giant list, and he began to staple it to every street corner he could find. Of all the people that had to leave Rome, otherwise they were going to die. And on this list weren't people like traitors or terrorists or revolutionaries. No, they were the names of celebrities. Men and women who were better looking than he was. Gladiators who were more popular than he was. And people who he thought was smarter than him. Which, by the way, was most of the population of Rome. And he began to exile them because he didn't want anyone in Rome to, to outshine him. He created a whole bunch of laws called the Nerean Pacts, in which, basically, he redefined what gladiatorial fights were going to be, and carnivals and things, so that he could, at any given point, walk in and be the sinner. Literally, there could be a show going on in the Colosseum, and if Nero wanted to, he had the right to walk down and be the lead performer. This guy, who deemed himself part gladiator, part musician, you know, part blessing to Rome, wanted to make sure that there was no one who outshone him. But there was this pesky group of peoples who were gaining in popularity. They were called the Christians. And these Christians were annoying to Nero. I mean, they were constantly giving out food, selling their property, caring for the sick and the poor. And these people were known throughout Rome for being some of the most generous and kind. Not only that, but they were wildly popular amongst the lower class because... They cared for people like slaves and prostitutes and even criminals. And so quickly Christians found themselves a part of these Nerean Pacts and were asked to leave Rome. Soon the Roman church, which was one of the beacons of the best churches in the world, was being depleted. They lost all their leaders. They lost their wealth. They lost their prominence. They lost everything they needed to be successful until there was just a handful of ragtag people left behind. Afraid, the Roman church did what many churches did in the time, and they reached out to Paul. They sent messenger after messenger to him, begging him to come and help their their situation. But Paul was in the middle of his own problems, fighting off persecution and arrest in Corinth. And he couldn't drop everything and travel 800 miles to the city of Rome. But the situation in Rome got desperate. And I'm talking really desperate. Like there was a chance that the church may not stand any more desperate. And so Paul did the unthinkable. Out of all the people that Paul could have chosen for this operation he had in mind, there was one person that he chose. An operative who he believed was perfectly form-fitted for this task. I mean, the task before this operative was going to be immense. Not only were they going to have to travel 800 miles through some of the most dangerous territories in Rome, they were going to have to go on to four different ships, taking four different sea voyages, into to the third most pirated area in the world at the time. They were going to have to travel 256 miles on a road called Thieves' Road, the name given because of the corruption and crime that happened on this largely, completely unsupervised stretch of land. Not only that, but they were going to have to then try to go through two different areas, two different areas where the plague was at an all-time high. 800 miles through piracy, through crime, and through plague to get to Rome. And not only that, but once this operative got to Rome, things weren't, you know, sunshine and daisies. They then had to find a way to sneak in, sneak this, this plan in place underneath the rose, nose of the emperor and through the Praetorian Guard, who was tasked with keeping Rome safe, calling every single person who came in and out of the city and searching them. This operation was called the Epistle of Romans. That was the plan. Paul was going to write this dynamic, electrifying, incredible, defining document that he was then going to give to this operative who had the task of traveling this 800-mile journey through crime, through piracy, through plague, and through famine to get to Rome, sneak it in under the Praetorian Guard, getting through the city walls, and then getting it out to the church without being caught and killed. And there are a lot of people that you probably think of in the New Testament that Paul would have chosen, right? Maybe it was Barnabas. Barnabas was great at this kind of stuff. Silas? Maybe even John Mark? No. No, he had someone else in mind. Ten miles east of where he was in Corinth, there was a small shipbuilding city called Concrea. And there, there lived a mid 30s woman who was a widow. She was very wealthy, probably the heiress to quite a large um, boat-building industry, and devoted deeply to God and to Jesus. Paul, seeing this heiress, her passion and her devotion, selected her to be the operative to carry out this intense plan, to deliver the epistle of Romans to the people of Rome. This woman's name was Phoebe. And, from what we know through early church history, Phoebe was a force to be reckoned with. Without even a second glance, she grabbed the letter and began her journey. Now, for the safety of maybe our younger listeners, we won't go into anything past this. Let me just say, traveling these roads would have been dangerous for anybody. But in a time of perversion and crime, especially towards women, this was incredibly dangerous and she did it without second guessing willing to put her life her body and her emotional well-being on the line she traveled 800 miles along the way every single time you know laying there at a in the bottom of a ship a transport ship or staying at an inn or sleeping in a tent every night she would spend time reading this letter this epistle of the romans Because once she got into the city, it wasn't enough just to give it to the Roman church. No, she had to read it to the Roman church, as was Roman custom. And not only that, but, I mean, they were going to have questions. We have questions. You read the book of Romans, and you have questions. And so she prepared herself, reading the document every day, every night, hundreds and hundreds of times over the course of her long journey to Rome. When she got to the Roman gates, there would have been praetorian guards, a cohort of them, interrogating and questioning every single person to walk in. When this Grecian woman walked up, out of place, without a husband, and without any legal papers proving why she's there, they would have had to have done a search of her and all of her possessions. How she and where she hid this document of the book of Romans is, is beyond me. But somehow she was able to hide it. I mean, if they would have found that document and just read the opening couple of words, professing King Jesus and talking about this subversion of the Roman Empire and equality for all, she would have died there on the spot. The Praetorian Guard had the right to execute at will. She wouldn't have made it past that city. She wouldn't have been on trial. She would have been stabbed right there. I mean, she was Grecian after all, not even a Roman. But they never found it and she was permitted into the city. She would have made haste to get to the church and wait for everyone to gather after their work day would have ended roughly around 8 p.m. And as they would have sat there in hushed tones and candle lighting, she would have unrolled that scroll and read the book of Romans for the first time. This operative chosen from Concrea for this incredible mission by Paul himself now had the opportunity to be the first one to profess this gospel-changing, church-altering, history-shifting letter. And at the end of it, you can imagine the clamoring as everyone had so many questions. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And she would have probably spent all night just sitting there talking and answering the questions they had about the book of Romans. She would have expounded on Paul's own words having learned it from him, and having studied it for months. She would have taken her time making sure that every single person there understood everything, and by the time she walked out of that house when the morning sun had hit the Roman roads and began her 800-mile trek back, she would have changed the world, because it never would have been the same. The The Epistle of Romans is widely considered one of the most influential documents ever written, not just Christian documents, any document one of the most cited historical documents ever. This book gave us everything we know about Christian theology. It is the synopsis and the jewel of Paul's writings. And it was first professed by a chosen operative out of Concrea. a woman, a widow. You know, in many ways, this is in keeping with the rest of the New Testament, right? I mean, if you think about it, you know... Mary was the first one to profess the, the resurrected Savior, and here Phoebe was the first one to profess this theology-changing document in Romans. And it indicates to us a very important, powerful message for us to consider today in our heritage. We came from a group of people, some men and some women, who the world overlooked. Young fishermen boys, a carpenter's son, a woman who was a prostitute, and a widow, a widow from Cancria. We are shaped and changed and molded and challenged and defined by them, the forgotten, the nameless, the unknown, the uncared for in their own cultures. We are who we are. The church is what it is because of the sacrifice of fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes. And we carry that heritage and that tradition on. And we carry it on with the, the knowledge that you and I matter. That you and I, despite our social status, despite our race, despite our gender, have an incredible potential for the kingdom of God. Man and woman, young and old, you carry a heritage of people like you who change the world. Our heritage starts with the proclamation of a resurrected Savior from a woman who used to have seven demons and the expounding and teaching of the book of Romans from an operative hand-picked by Paul for a perilous journey who would change the world. This leaves us with this question. How are you going to change the world? How are you going to follow in the footsteps of these women? And how are you going to change things today? The church needs a Phoebe. It needs a Mary. It needs someone to step up and rise out of their station and their position and take on challenges bigger than them. It's going to take all of us. We too find ourselves in chaos, in plague, and in hardship. It's time for us to rise up, take on our heritage, and follow Phoebe to changing the world.